it's going to be a wild ride. So buckle yourselves in. Hello and welcome to Smash, the podcast of the NFL Scotland team. And for a very special episode, we're going to be talking about the broadcasting business of the NFL. Cameron Hobbs has been called away to Los Angeles. PFF Scott McGuinness, NFL Scotland's Scott McGuinness joins me as well. Gordon, how are you? I'm doing good, thanks. Excellent. The, the close season's always a funny time, but the NFL just keeps on going, giving us news and stories all the way. Yeah, just there's there's always there's always something going. It's a sport. It's funny for a sport that lasts, you know, twenty odd weeks, um, regular season playoffs, as a year round news cycle. I'm delighted to see our special guest uh, today. Is somebody I've I've heard on numerous occasions uh, because he's the play by play voice for the team that I support, the New Orleans Saints. It is an absolute pleasure to welcome to the Stramash Podcast. Mike Hoss. Mike, how are you? I am great. Uh, thanks for having me on. And it's, uh, I've done podcasts with a lot of different people in different places, but this is the farthest. So this is pretty cool. <laughs> now, d- doing a little bit of um, dig- digging into your background, you're a big golf fan. You like whiskey. Scotland's the ideal place for you, Mike. You know, I was thinking about because it's it's I guess not just my bucket list. It's like the first five things in my bucket list. So I go to Scotland and do I do I do the trip based on Muirfield, the old course, Turnberry, but you know that or Carnoustie, or do I do Oban, uh, Dufftown, you know, or do I base it on the distilleries and then find golf near the distilleries? Because you can't go wrong, really, in 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 either way. But yeah, I mean it's. In Scotland, uh, to me, I would just—I just want to see it. I want to—I want to kind of have no schedule. Me and the wife just drive, get in, and just drive and visit the little villages, and and just—I just feel like that's the best way to do it. But I, I might have a place that you can do both. The place I'm from originally is a little place called Campbelltown, which is like way down in the west coast. Uh, it used to be the whiskey capital of the world. I think they used to have. Uh, a huge amount of distilleries. There's now only three, although they've got some more in production. And they've also got a couple of golf courses, including one at Macrahanish, which is, I think it's the only golf course in the world where you actually tee off over the Atlantic Ocean. There's like a part where it swings in. So the first tee tees off over the Atlantic Ocean. So there's two two claims to fame from down there. That's awesome. I, I worked with a friend. I, I don't know. I, I'm not sitting in front of a map, but it's, it's called Hogshead. It's in Waterville or, or outside of Waterville. Uh, and it's literally built by two guys in the United States who built this golf course for friends. So, yeah, they've got a little bit of money. And they just go over from New York and they they play a hogshead. Uh, and, man, it's it just, you know, it's a new, relatively new course. But, man, it's just it – so it was so fun working on that project as they built this course. And um, it just, you know, made me want to do it more. Golf's always been your thing. You 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 took a golf scholarship to James Madison, so golf was always the passion growing up. It was that was the plan. Um, you know, as a kid, I grew up in, right outside of Washington D.C. in Northern Virginia, and went to school on a golf scholarship, and thought that would be the path. And was fortunate enough to learn, probably my junior year, that I was going to be 
a very poor professional golfer and that I better have plan B uh, much faster than I anticipated and, and landed in communications and television and radio. But yeah, that was, that was the plan as a, as a kid, but uh, man, it's a, what a brutal way to make a, to make a living even back then it is the 1% of the 1%. Uh, that actually make it but yeah that's that's my passion so my i mean golf obviously a love of your life that that has continued throughout so just just so we can loop things around if you weren't going to be the professional golfer that you'd hope and i think we all hope to be you know we all love sport i mean you know i i, I played a little bit of football but not to any great level because i realized very quickly people were so much better than me but, how, how did the career then take off? Because you worked in television for a long, long time. Right. You know, so I found out in college that really golf was not going to be the route. Uh, and then was kind of like, well, all right, well, what am I going to do? Right. What was the plan B was not really much, uh, not much of a doctrine at that juncture and had done some radio work uh, with a friend one night at the college radio station, kind of like it. And so kind of, fell into it more than anything else. And so when you get out of college, you know, with a, in, in hopes of, of a television career, sports anchoring, I mean, this is, I'm old, this is back in the early 80s, ESPN barely existed. You know, we didn't have 15,000 opportunities. So you kind of, you went more of the local television route, which I did, and worked in news and sports in Virginia and Oklahoma, Texas, and then, was fortunate enough to land here in New Orleans uh, 35 years ago, thinking it was going to be a stop, you know, for two years. And then I would keep, move on back to the Washington, D.C. area, which is home. I, you know, New Orleans will do it to you. So, you know, it's two years became five, five became 10, wife, kids. And here I am, you know, talking retirement, uh, but in, in this city. So, it, it was never a plan. Uh, it just kind of worked out. Very, very fortunate. New Orleans does have that effect on people, though, doesn't it? It's, it's it a special kind of city that uh, I, I was lucky with Cameron. We, we visited about five years ago to take in a Saints game. We, we saw the Saints play the Eagles um, at the Superdome, and it remains you know, one of the sporting highlights that I've come across. And yeah, but there's there's certainly something about the city that seems to entrance people. How, how would you describe New Orleans in comparison to other American cities? Well, it's a very, um, it is unique. It has its issues like every big city. So the, the uniqueness of New Orleans to me is that it's really a small town. We're not a big city at all um, in, the, in the map of big cities, say we're top 50. And I mean like 50, right? So we're not a big city. It's a very smallish uh, kind of town that has a very small town feel. Everybody knows each other, but it has big time events, uh, you know, Jazz Fest, the Saints, Super Bowls, Sugar Bowls, Final Fours we just had. So you, you live in this kind of quaint, you know, area where everybody grew up together and knows everybody, but you also live in this big time city of tourism and events. Uh, so it's, 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 it's really unique. It's, 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 it's a great, you know, I had no intention. I'd never been here before. When I moved here in 89, I didn't know what, what to expect. And you either, there, there's two kinds of people with New Orleans. You either get it right, right off the bat. You either, it is wacky. 
You either get it or you don't. And if you don't, totally understand. No grudges held because if you don't get it, you never will. But if you do, it's 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 it's, it's a cool place. I uh, I've only been once before, and it was it was just one just one night. Uh, we'd so at PFF, we'd been down in Mobile, Alabama, covering the Senior Bowl, um, and we flew in and out of New Orleans. So we came up and we spent the night before our our next morning flight um, in New Orleans. And the thing that amazed me was we we had dinner somewhere somewhere along Bourbon Street, and we went in for dinner, and it was maybe seven thirty eight o'clock, and the street was really quiet. And we were in for dinner, and I reckon we were in there for 45 minutes. And we came out, and the street that had been almost silent was just so many people everywhere, and people streaming in and out of bars. Like, the, the, you know, you, you go into one bar, you get a drink, and you move on to the next bar, and the only thing you have to do is pour your drink into, like, a plastic cup instead of whatever the branded cup was elsewhere. The, the whole thing had, like, a festival feel, and this was just a random... Uh, must have been a random Thursday night or something like that. That's the way it is. The, the city, you go into dinner and, you know, usually you got a 45 minute dinner. That's a short dinner in New Orleans. <laughs> Dinners in New Orleans usually much longer and uh, the city flips. It's usually, you know, it depends on what time of year, but when it flips, it flips hard. And, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's unique. It is just unique. You're right. I mean, the drinks to go walking down the street, we still have drive through daiquiri stores <laughs> in Louisiana and new Orleans that, you know, that, that people just, just can't believe, but, you know, but it's, it's the, again, the difference to me was always like, I'm not from here. I wasn't born or raised here, but I would say 70% of the people that live in this city are born and raised here. You go to Atlanta, there's nobody from Atlanta living in Atlanta. You go to Charlotte, nobody from Charlotte living in Charlotte. In New Orleans, everybody's from here. It's kind of, it's, it's really kind of cool. So where did your love of the Saints come from, Mike? Did you just get caught up as that was one of the local sports teams you'd, you'd work to cover it or, or was it, or was there a love quite early on? No, I mean, my, I grew up in Washington, so my, my team was then the Redskins, now the Commanders. So when I, I got here, I was a sports anchor, so I covered them for 15 years as a sports anchor, you know, traveling with them, training camp, everything, the whole, uh, you know, and they weren't, they weren't very good during those, those years. Um, and then I, I flipped over to news and became a news anchor just because sports was, is, a, is a much harder, it's tougher from, from a family, family standpoint. And then I became a season ticket holder for like 10 years. So I became a fan and I didn't think, I really didn't think I could ever be a fan again after you've been a sports anchor that long and you've kind of covered it. But I became a complete fan, like out of control. Like my wife was like, wouldn't go to games with me. I mean, it was just, maybe it was just all just pent up, right? After all those years. And then I went to work for the Saints. I did their sidelines for like three years. And then this radio, the radio position was a complete fluke. It happened. I, I When the job first came open in 2017, uh, I, I was in the running for it and Zach Streif got it. And, you know, at my age, you know, following that dream to get one bite at the apple, I would say is enormously rare. And to get two bites at the apple, almost unheard of. 
So I, 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 I feel pretty certain that I was the oldest rookie in 2021, uh, my first year for sure. Uh, but it's, it was, it's been a blast. And so, yeah, I, it was not initially, when you cover them, you cover them differently. And then I became a fan. And so the fan part has just continued on because when you're the play by play guy for the radio, objectivity is kind of a, <laughs> it's kind of a gray area. You know, I'm not Fox, I'm not CBS, right? And so uh, it's been fun to be a fan and to be able to do play-by-play uh, at the same time. That was going to be one of my questions to you. I mean, as Gordon knows, I'm obsessed by radio and I've listened to a lot of the the play-by-play. I mean, Washington, you, you mentioned Washington. I mean, if there's a more biased set of homers than Washington or Dallas, it should be said, then I don't think I've come across them. It's a very fine line because you're not trying to kid the fan when the team's playing badly. It's, it's trying to find that that middle ground of trying to look for the positive and see some of the stuff that perhaps the national guys don't get. No, I agree. I, I mean, you can, the, to me, there's a, there is a fine line. I mean, there's a fine line between being oh, just a home, complete homer that is just almost unlistenable to a person who inherently, personally, individually wants them to win, wants them to play well. Uh, and so, but you can only go so far with that because it becomes unlistenable to me. And my uh, color analyst, Deuce McAllister, former saint, super guy, just as easygoing as it can be, you know, he's probably more critical of them than, than I am. Right. And he's a former player and I'm like, Whoa, I mean, he, he doesn't, he doesn't mince words, but I think, either, I think you can find the balance in there, but if you listen and you just turned, turned us on and didn't know kind of who we were, what we were doing, you'd go, those guys are for the team. They might not, because we're not, we're, we're not paid by the saints. We work for the radio station, you know, so, but you'd know, you know, you could just tell that's not a, objective broadcast yeah the the thing i've always found interesting so paul paul now still he does a lot of his like he mute the tv and listen to radio for numerous sports he watches but like when when i first started watching the sport we didn't you know we now have this game pass which is the uk equivalent of sunday ticket so you can watch any game you want oh you know all the time all that it's it's great when, when i first started watching you we got the you know one game on television and if it wasn't your team that were on television you would have to figure it out so i remember i used to how i would keep up to date with games would be i would listen to whatever the local radio was and over here you you could only listen to whoever the home team's radio was but the thing that i always used to find fascinating with that was you got so much more information about like the further down the roster guys like the fourth fifth the sixth round picks the undrafted free agents you'd get so much more information from them from these guys who obviously work a lot closer with those players and stuff. So, uh, yeah, that that's where I think a lot of the radio stuff like really comes into its own is the kind of depth of knowledge that I think you guys provide. Well, we spent a lot of time, and you guys were talking about it at the beginning, and it, it, it is I mean, it's year-round. It's year-round for a reason because the NFL – does it that way they they string out the draft they string out the you know the schedule release we're in otas right now that's wrapping up mandatory mandatory mini camp next week so that's the middle of june and then really there's a month from the middle of june 
until the middle of July when they kind of, you know, it, it is kind of even for, even for the NFL, it's pretty slow uh, and shut down. But then that's it by July 26th, 25th, you're back. And then when you're back, it's 24-7, 365 until you get really through the season uh, in February. Yeah. Mike, talk me through a, a typical week for you in a game week. You know, when does your preparation start? You know, do you, do you look at the Saints first and get them in order, or do you look at the opponents? How does it how does it tend to work for you? It's a continuum, right? And so, in my first year, I got the job very late, and it was like July. Training camp was in a month, and so I was behind from the get go. I was swimming upstream. Uh, the entire year and also really kind of learning how to prepare. Uh, It had been a long time from a play-by-play standpoint. So the saints are on a continuum. You're always, I mean, I have the saints roster, you know, on a big board to my left. It's always, it's in my face and I just magnetically move names around. And then, so games on Sunday, as soon as the game's over, I don't do a whole lot Sunday night. Monday and Tuesday, I host shows with the coaches. I host a, a, a Saints head coaches show on Monday night and a general manager show on Tuesday. And then Friday, Deuce and I do like three hours of, 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 of local radio. So you've got those shows in there. But other than that, it is uh, so much of just kind of visualization. And you mentioned Game Pass. Without Without Game Pass, I don't know how I would – prepare i mean i you have all you have the all 22 and you can sit there and you know a friend of mine taught me he says do it from the outside in he says you start on defense with your safeties and cornerbacks to linebackers to defensive line wide receive receivers to running backs to tight ends to offensive line and you but the ability to to see you know the all 22 with no audio just wide it's like it's like watching a game and so what a, a piece of technology that has changed, you know, at least for me, the way to do it. So you're just always kind of learning. It's numbers and names, numbers and names. And 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 you, you can put five notes down for every player. That was the goal, five notes. And I will look back after a game, and if I hit one note uh, for every player, it would be a miracle. I mean, that's how fast the game goes and so it's the the other thing i'll close with is that it's the problem i've always found with this is that it reminds me of college you're never done you're never (laughs) done on saturday night on the plane wherever you know like there's always something you could be doing more it's hard to go okay i'm ready shut the book i mean you know sunday you know on, on the team bus going to the game i'm still looking over stuff so it's 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 the fun part i mean when you get to the actual game it goes so fast it's a it's a blur but uh and i i i enjoy the research if you didn't enjoy the research of it i think it would be tough but i I love finding out little anecdotal things about different players and you know just got i mean they were all all of them played quarterback in high school. All of them. I don't care if they're <laughs> offensive line. They all played quarterback. They all played both sides of the football. They all scored a thousand touchdowns. And so, but if you kind of dig a little deeper, uh, it's fun. I, I love to find those little kind of notes that maybe people, like you say, that, that you're not going to hear that on the on the national broadcast because they don't have they're not they're not they're not going that deep into any individual player. 
Yeah, and also, I mean, I'm not knocking the national guys, but a lot of them, the, some of the research is almost done for them and, and handed to them, whereas you're cultivating your own and getting a rough idea of, of what you'd like to do. You, you mentioned about five, five notes for every player and you might use one. I mean, is the satisfaction you get, it's as a broadcaster, I, what I find is if you use the right one at the right time. All that work's worth it. I mean, hours worth of work that never sees the light of day. But if you can nail the right one at the right time, yeah, no, I agree that. But to me, the note and just the call, right? It's it's you can go through a game. You're going to have maybe seven opportunities to where your call makes a difference, whether it's a touchdown, a sack, an interception, and you know, you know immediately if you got it right or if you. You know, if it didn't nail it. And so it's about, you know, making those moments feel real for the for the for the guy at home. Now, there was a in New Orleans, there was a thing that everybody used to do was a it was their slogan was turn down the radio, turn up, you know, the the Jim Henderson and, and the radio team. Now I will admit that was back in the day when you had a radio, right? <laughs> it was pretty easy. <laughs> Nowadays, it's like satellite, DVRs, streaming, trying to get it synced up is a nightmare. And so it's much harder now uh, to do. But, uh, you know, there's just so many ways to, to watch and, and listen. Um, but, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's that it's the timing of the note. But to me, man, it's like it's that timing of the play. Get, get, get the play to where it feels really, really cool. Jim, I mean, I, what, what I found was with commentators, and I know with myself, I, I'm, I'm my own worst critic. Um, do you have someone that, that will tell you if, you if you've nailed it or not? And not just somebody who's going to tell you you're great all the time because people are like that. But do you have a tr trusted confidant that will tell you you're good here, you were good there? Yeah, I had, but I had to actually reach out. There really wasn't, you know... Uh, there wasn't somebody in place. The, I, the, the, the guy who had this job for 30 years prior to Zach and I was Jim Henderson. And Jim Henderson, who's, a, I, who's an iconic, he was at the television station I was. So we worked together for 20 years. I, I watched him do play-by-play -play for 20 years, kind of watching the craft. But, I've, but I've, all, I've never really kind of gone to him to, you know, I didn't want to kind of have our relationship have to be kind of that situation of critic and, and so you know yeah you gotta and you can't I, i've learned you can't use twitter uh that's a tough <laughs> place to do because man i like it's roots and so you can't use your wife she loves me uh so but i have i've found somebody that you know i'm like i don't i don't need to hear if, if you know the good I just you know somebody that can listen and who's done it and who I respect and, and, and who tell me the truth. But I, I, I do believe you need it. Although I can listen and I, you know, we listen, we, we tape the games on the GoPro uh, and listen to them. And so I know, but it's nice to have somebody yeah, that you can, that can, you know, tell you eh, maybe gone, gone this way or gone that way. Gordon, when you listen to games and when you watch games, you know, you've mentioned that, that you know, it's some of the in-depth information that you're looking for. What else do you look for in a, in a broadcast team? I, energy, obviously, is really important. Like, I think you, but energy and just like being able to tell 
like someone who has taken a bit of time to either someone who's taken time to do some digging themselves or some of those bigger national guys who obviously do a good job like listening to the um the research that's been done for them and stuff like that you can you can tell who you know spends a lot of time working with those guys and it, it comes across really well so i i think of all the sports in the world i think the nfl has some of the best sets of commentators both in radio and and television i think there's a lot of really good voices out there. Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, I mean, Mike, you're one of 32 play-by-play guys for teams. I mean, it, it's a coveted job that there's no doubt about it. And it's one you obviously cherish. And one of the things you've got to do fairly early is obviously you don't work with your partner. Now, now Juice McAllister's been around for, for quite a while, but my impression, certainly listening, is there's, there's just such an easy chemistry between the two of you. Right. And it's when I say it is organic, it is organic. We didn't I didn't cover do so we didn't know each other. Well, we knew each other some Uh, when I tried out for the job in 2018. We did a game together, just practice game. So uh, I have tremendous respect for him. But we you're right. We we were starting from ground zero. And so Deuce is a knowledgeable, but he's also enormously busy. He does SEC games on Saturday for TV. So he's always gone during the week, like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So we don't, we, we, and we, this was kind of by choice. We, we, we're not, we're not big rehearsers. We're not, Hey, I'm going to go, we're going to go this, 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 you know? And so during the week uh, I do everything on a computer and everything, even my, my game book and my, everything is, is computerized and I've got everything. I mean, I'm down to, you know, it's all over. I got monitors here, iPads here, GoPros here. You know, I look like, uh, you know, I'm from a, a beautiful mind with post-it notes uh, everywhere. <laughs> and then Deuce walks in and he, you know, he, he doesn't, he comes when he, you know, prior to the pregame show, he walks in with two phones, throws the phones down and goes, all right, let's go. That's it. That's it. Two phones, right? And he's monitoring this and monitoring that. And he's got his, you know, his, his, uh, his flip card, and which he rarely looks at. And this is the guy who did Kentucky and LSU the day before, right? With, 90 people on each team oh. and so i was and he he's so easy to work with you just you want to kind of well, first i want to stay out of his way right i want to set him up because who gives a crap what i say other, once the play's done right i want to hear what deuce has to say and he's you know but that's the speed of the game i mean once i do the play deuce does his commentary and we're at the next play there's not a lot of time. That's why these notes that I, that I learned, you just don't have time. Uh, but I'm just lucky. You know, uh, we don't spend a lot of time. We do traveling together, but it's just we get in there and we just kind of go. Right. We just have fun. And the first year he could just see me just like melting down. And he would just, you know, he's he's got these hands that are just massive. And we again, we have a GoPro in the thing, and, and he will just he'll lean back, he'll, he'll it's like a big bear paw, and he'll set it on my back, and it's just like you know it'll bring or he's he he needs to say something, he'll just have this big bear paw on my back, and I, I'm I'm like all right, take it away, Deuce, and so it's 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 a unique uh, relationship. I think the world of them, nobody knows the game. Like I feel out, I, I say this on there. I go, are we watching the same game? <laughs> because he will say things 
10 seconds before they happen, four seconds before the official blows the whistle. And I'm like, you know, I'm just watching the ball. He's like, oh, yeah, no, they had 12 guys on the field. Like, the official hasn't even said that yet. So he he's amazing. He's fun to work with. It's been a blast. Yeah, it's, these guys who have played the game, I mean, Gordon, you've you found this as well. They see the game on a different level. And oh, yeah. it, it, I, I'm always envious. I mean, I've worked with so many good people in Scotland covering football, and I'm always stunned at just what, what they watch. It's a bit like what Mike says. They see things that we, I would say, mere mortals just don't see. It's also the speed, like the speed that ex-players work at on various different things, like... You you can just tell, like to to your point there about just just walking in and sets a couple of phones down and then goes because a lot of what he's going to have to you know watch and say something about he's probably processing at a speed that we just can't really comprehend because he's played it for so long and and all these things. I, I'm always fascinated. There's there's guys I worked with on like our analysis side, and you know you would ask a question about breaking down a coverage, and you know I'd have been staring at it trying to figure it out for. 15 minutes and like 30 seconds later there's this long reply about like oh yeah you know this this corner's going to try and trail here and he does this and this and i'm just like wow so like ex players i think especially the, the the good ones who are moving in those other roles afterwards can just explain things so fast and so in depth it's a couple I, I you know football is so complicated at this level like it's it doesn't even look fun to me. I'm like, it is so complicated. I'm like, my, you know, what happened to just you go down and out, you go long, right? It's like, it is, you know, at Deuce's level and and, and the guys you do work with, the pro football. I mean, it is, it's another level, right? I just see a guy handoff, runs left, you know, between the guard and the tackle. And Deuce is like, yeah, we had two pulling guards over here, the pulling guard and a tackle over here. It's a power zone run. I'm like, yeah, I, he just ran the ball left, right? You know, so it's that it's that ability to see because that's what he's looking at. He's a running back, right? So what he sees is exactly that. He sees the formation. He see well, as I'm watching the ball and the ball carrier. He's watching the offensive line because that's what he's done his whole life. Is what did the guard and tackle do? What, were they pulling? You know, was it a power run? Was it you know? All of a sudden, I'm just like, <laughs> I just, it's just fun. It, but it, the game is so complicated. It's unbelievable. In, in terms of the game day, I mean, I've seen some of your GoPro stuff and you, you post stuff on Twitter. You're always there nice and early. It, would it be fair to say that, that some of the modern stadiums don't often give the radio announcers the best position in the house anymore? You know, and I'm where I'm where I'm sitting right now. I'm I, I'm the media of manager relations for Caesars Superdome, Smoothie King Center. So I'm in the Superdome. This is my office. Superdome, the football field with runner construction is 50 yards away from me. And so I, I feel that pain, which is our press box in the Superdome. When I was covering the team was on the 300 level. And great seats, you know, it's perfect. And so they realized, you know what? If we turn those into suites, we can make a lot more money. And we put those guys up on 700. Now, 700 at the top of the Superdome, you know, is up there. So my the first time, I mean, I work in the building, but I'd been up there. But the first time I did a practice up there, I was like, 
okay, I, I can't see the numbers, right? And I'm, like, I'm, I'm almost in tears. I, I, I only got one job, and that's to see the numbers of the guys playing. And nobody else up there, all the rest of the media can just see the play. And there's coaches, you know, to our left. They like being up on that center. You can see everything develop. But I, I go, I can't see the numbers. I, I, was, I came down. I was like, and, and Zach, who street for the Dodgers, don't worry. You'll get it. It'll come. You'll get used to it. You'll have binoculars. You have a field truck. You have all of these different things. And he was right. I, I do. But I use binoculars now, no matter where I am. If I'm in a, even if I've got great field position, I'm so used now to watching it through my binoculars, you know, wide kind of field of vision that I'm used to it. But you're right. I'd say the worst is Washington. So I grew up at RFK Stadium, you know, that's where as a kid, you know. And so their new stadium in Maryland, FedEx Field, or we used to be FedEx Field, I don't know what it is now. So when I got to the press box, as I looked straight down from where I was, I was looking into the stands of the end zone. So the field was to my right. And I'm like, you're, I'm not even looking down onto the field. I'm looking down into the fans. I'm like, so as you're covering this game, and there's like no monitors at work, when they would get past the 50-yard line, he gained two <laughs> or seven. I don't know. This, they're going away from you, running horizontally. It was, oh, I'm like, well, run to the right. He picked up two or seven. Can't tell. <laughs> so you're it. Uh, most of them, you know, as the visitors, you're not going to be in great places, but you kind of get used to it. The angles are the worst. I don't. The height to me doesn't bother me anymore. It's the angles because you can't. You have no depth. You can't tell. You know, when they're coming towards you, it's fine. But when they're going away from you, it's brutal. Yeah, I find that uh, the one I find that's always. Like when you're uh, talking about like watching coaches film, uh, Soldier Field for me is always the one whereby it's like, okay, that's I, I can see the players, but I'm not getting to see the play develop in a lot of these angles. It's right. Really- They're all different. The older stadiums are the worst, like Soldier Field. You know, Lambeau is actually not bad. It's an older field. We're one of the older buildings. And again, we're only where we are. We've only been there for nine, 10 years. We, we, we weren't always there. Um, but and by the way, the TV broadcasters and everybody else, they're still on the 300 level, <laughs> they're not up with us at 700. It's just the radio, us visiting radio, Spanish radio, that's it. Everybody else is still down on 300. So it is what it is, you get used to it. Yeah, it's just one of these things you are where you are because I've spotted you a few times on the clips on the GoPro with, with the binoculars. I think, you know, it's, it's an interesting, you know, you're dropping them, you're looking at notes, you're coming back again. It's, you know, it's, it's like a it's, dance. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's like a dance because that was the first thing I realized. Because again, we do, I do everything off of a computer screen, an iPad and a computer screen. And so, you know, typically I wear contacts. So I'd have to go, all right, I got to watch the play, look down, get a note, see the part, you know, and then try to be able to visually see. So, man, it was a, you know, you talk about trial and error. So as I come down to it, I, I do the game with one contact in, just my right dominant eye. My left eye has no contact in it. So I can watch the play and see, glance down, my left eye takes over to the computer. I can see perfectly, then come back, 
it's like it's uh but anyways i've watched him before because you, you you're a spotter you know but one of the most important people is to your left who's pointing out things and you're looking this way then you're looking this way towards your stats guy deuces to my right and it's just a you know you get seasick watching it um i don't know i don't know any other way to do it it, it's a great buzz, though, isn't it? I mean, say that if you look at the or you listen to the end result, you induce, as I mentioned, come across just so well. You cover the game, but are you exhausted by the end of it? Yeah, it's weird. There's there's kind of this, and again, so you know, from Sean, we lived the Sean Payton, Drew Brees years. Well, we, you know, thirteen and three was like ah, who cares? Thirteen and three, right? We get so you know, spoiled. Uh, so we were nine and eight and 21 and then seven and 10 last year. So it's, it hasn't been like the Sean Payton drew breeze year. It was very, very difficult. See, you're, you, when, when, when they win, you're kind of like, what, you know, you want to be a part of some type of celebration, but all you do is you get on a bus and you go get on the team plane and you, you come back. So it's it's just it's a weird kind of dynamic because there's no as soon as the game ends, win or lose, we are breaking down our gear to bus tail to get down uh, to the bus. Because I can assure you, the bus will wait for Drew Brees. The bus ain't waiting for Mike Oss. <laughs> and, and, and they will see you later down the road so we do not want to miss uh the bus but yeah it's it it's weird i guess maybe because i was a fan for a long time uh that you do want to kind of have this uh celebration and it really has it, it's kind of different so a couple of more questions just before we let you sean payton and drew Brees. i mean they came across as great guys and and good to work with your day-to-day type contact with them but are they as advertised? Drew, yes, they are. I mean, Drew is, I mean, what you see is what you get. I will say this. I see a lot of Drew Brees and Derek Carr. That's an unfair thing to do. I'm not talking about football. He's just a genuinely hardworking, nice guy who is going to be forever compared to Drew, I think, moving forward. Sean is tough. Right. Sean, you got to earn your way. Sean grew up in the in the Bill Parcells tree. Right. <laughs> so uh, you you earned your stripes with Sean. Eventually you were going to get screamed at for whatever. Uh, but but overall, if you could kind of get him away, like you play golf with him or see him outside. I mean, you know, overall, super, super good guy. But he was tough, you know, from a when you are a media head coach, that relationship, uh, you know, can be tough. But, but but overall, both of them, I mean, look what they did. I mean, it showed up here in 2006 post-Katrina. Nobody wanted to come here, but he didn't have lights on in a lot of places. And in that first year, go to the NFC Championship game in a game in Chicago with the Bears. Again, they should have won uh, and, and would have gone to the Super Bowl. That, but, that, but that did – in 2006, the year after Katrina, was to me as important, if not more important, than the Super Bowl in 2009. I mean, that's how important it was to this city, uh, having yeah. that team uh, to, to get behind, because it was, I mean, you, you know, people think, well, 2006, you're back. Ugh. 
bull. It wasn't nothing back, man. It was, it was it was five years after that before things really got back to normal. I still remember the um, the first home game with the blocked punt, and I remember watching it live. It's like late night here. I'm not a Saints fan. But like when the punt got blocked and like the sound in the stadium, like the hairs in the back of my neck stood up. It was just, I, and it's one of those things. There, there's very few regular season moments that I can remember over the last like twenty odd years as an NFL fan. But like that's the one that, and I think that's probably true for most for most fans. Not thinking about their own team, but thinking about just the NFL in general. It's just one of so, those moments that just lives yeah. with everyone. Yeah, I mean, I was there, so I was working news. But I was a season ticket holder, and I was off. It was a Monday night game. I was off. And so I think what people forget is that this was their third game. They had played two games already and won, by the way, which was rare, uh, on the road. Uh, and so and you're right. I can't – it was the most – I've always explained it this way. It was the most raw feeling at a sporting event, period. It was guttural. Right. It wasn't it was joyous and releasing and, you know, from a psychological standpoint, just baggage going. I mean, it was it was just raw and it lasted forever. And like you, I mean, I just talking about it, you know, you get you get tingles in the hair. You just go back to that moment and nothing will, you know, again, they kicked the field goal here to to go to the Super Bowl. Good, yeah, you know, compared to the Steve Gleason punt, not even close. Yeah, it's just one of those iconic moments in in Saints history. Mike, I've been a fan of the Saints for a long time, so I we used to get the Armed Forces broadcasts in Scotland from Germany. So occasionally we'd get the Saints, Jim Henderson and Bobby, Bobby Cajun Cannon was the quarterback. And he's one of the first players that they were identified with. And you hear him on the radio. Is he as mad in person as he comes across on the radio? Yes. <laughs> so Bobby and I, when I got here, Bobby was the quarterback. So Bobby and I had this weird relationship about, a, you know, most of the people we work with now are younger and, they watched Bobby play growing up. Well, I covered him. So we're of the same genre. We speak the same language because I was here and covering them. But yeah, no, Bobby is, but I will say this. He prepares. He doesn't just wing it. He could walk in every day with nothing, right? And just say whatever he wants to say. He cuts out. He's like a fifth grader. He goes to every newspaper and magazine and cuts out little parts and tapes them together, and then highlights in green and yellow and blue. It looks like, you know, the Sunday comics before where you're sitting out. And so, and he's, but he he doesn't, he works very hard. He really does. And then just, he's just Bobby, man. Like he, if you, like we do a show together. And so he's not in the studio. I'm in the studio and the coach is on the phone. So we go, Bobby, I'll ask the first question. You ask the next two questions, and then we'll go back and forth after that. And it's like we get the first one done and the second one, but after that, it's a it's a free for all. And his questions are so lengthy and wordy. He actually answers the question in the question, and there's a great question in there, but he kind of forgets it 
towards the end and it's just it's just classic bobby he's a blast to work with we we did the draft this year with me and deuce and bobby and mike detillier who's a genius and we just and steve geller i mean it was it was the most fun i've had really kind of everybody you know those kind of minds in a room and I'm just a guy. I was just directing traffic, baby. I wasn't doing, you know, uh, it, it was it was a blast. But yeah, that what you see with Bobby, that's what you get. You mentioned Derek Carr coming. There will be the, the comparisons, I guess, Gordon with with Drew Brees, because when when a team's had a franchise quarterback, you look for the next one. And everybody comes in and gets compared to that. It's almost a little unfair, but do you think he's got the tools to do it in New Orleans, Gord? I mean, I I think if you look at like the last couple of years of Drew Brees' career, when the arm wasn't quite what it once was, I mean, he was never like a huge arm guy anyway. Like, I think Derek Carr could be that guy. And I think, and that was, that was good enough for the Saints to be like an NFC championship caliber team. And the NFC now, like outside of a couple of teams at the top, isn't a particularly strong conference. The NFC South doesn't look particularly strong right now. So, like, th- there's a realistic chance that with Derek Derek Carr, like, he doesn't have to be Drew Brees of Drew Brees's heyday in New Orleans. If he can be just a you know a fifteen twenty percent upgrade at quarterback and what they had the last couple of years, then you know they're. I think that's why they are the favorites in the NFC South and. You win that division, you know, a couple of wins. I could easily see them being an NFC championship team again. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, well, it's, yeah. No, I was just saying, the, 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 if they had changed offenses, right, they kept Pete Carmichael, the offensive coordinator, been here since, since Drew. And so the what Drew could do and what Derek can do is that he can have four plays in his head and go to the line and pull out of two, keep this, and make those guys. So that's what Derek can do. That's why the comparisons are really being made. And it's not just – and the problem is – and I asked Derek this. I said, the, the problem is it's not whether you can or can't do that, but the success of the Pete Carmichael offense requires you to have four or five plays in your head. He goes, you're right. If you can't do that, you can't be successful in this offense. It's just the way it is. And, you know, Derek said, you know, everybody loves me now. Wait till I feel my first pick, right? <laughs> you know, wait till I feel my first incomplete in this. But it's it's that ability. He's a veteran. Uh, he's been healthy. The ability to, to kind of go up to the line like Drew with four or five plays in your head and pull out of the right ones, uh, that, 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 that's, that's what can make the difference. And in terms of the draft and the talent that's going around them, do you feel that the Saints drafted uh, this year? I mean, every, everybody's always an expert about a draft, Mike, and everybody knows who you should have picked and why you didn't pick. I mean, Brian Breesey coming coming early. Kendry Miller's been picked in the third round as well. Where, where do you see the strengths coming? I think they. I think really what they did was uh, more free agent-wise than a draft. So the, they had holes from a draft situation on the defensive line, offensive line, took care of that two defensive interior linemen, but they also really took care of that. Some in free agency signed uh, Kalen Saunders, Uh, but they keep Mike Thomas. They get A.T. Perry, who's a wide receiver in the draft. 
You know, they're they're wide with with Chris Olave. Their wide receiver room got better. They get Foster Morrow, the tight end. They get uh, Jamal Williams, the running back. They just got better in the offseason, even prior to the draft. So the draft, they weren't looking to fill holes that were going to be guys we depend upon. They were it was almost like Lanya. They'd already kind of taken care of who they kind of needed. I, you know, this team was 70 million over the cap at the end of the season to do what they've done in this off season, get Mike Thomas back and kind of keep most of the players that they had. I mean, they're, and they're much better wide receiver room, much better tight end room, much better running back room. Defense was already strong. I mean, I just felt like the draft, we're not, I don't, we're not, I can't think of anybody other than maybe Brian Brzee who they're going to go, you got to get in and play right away. And even that, even then they're still rotate. So it, it was, they, they really did a great job. I feel in improving this roster free agent wise ahead of the draft. I think as well, Brzee and Isaiah Foskey, the two defensive linemen they took early, yeah. they felt like very, very Saints picks. Like they're guys who, were kind of especially Brissy was like highly uh, recruited coming out of high school, uh, started out really well in college. Then kind of injuries kind of impacted him and and all those things. But a guy who can play multiple spot spots across that uh, defensive line, and then Foskey's a guy who's like that incredible size athlete profile um, that they just love off the edge. I, it felt like a very very typical Saints draft at the top. Yeah, if they can get Foskey signed, like I didn't. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't think we were still living in this era. We had people unsigned. I, mean, so, I, I think that's uh, been I the thing, though. The, the the second round picks, weirdly, like under this new B, new CBA, seem to be the thing that there's a hold up. And I think I, I, right. I've read something before about it's like, I don't know, some kind of offset language and stuff like that, where those uh, those early second round picks, because they you know they're close enough to the first round, but they're not getting that fifth year guaranteed and all those things. It just seems to be a weird quirk of the CBA. No, but you're right though. Those two players were, were were perfect fits for the Saints for what they needed because they lost, you know, so many players to to free agency right off the bat. So in terms of the season, I mean, obviously, you know, August we we see the preseason games and then we get into. I think one of the Saints preseason games been picked up nationally. I think the game against the Texans has been picked up. How do you how do you do the preseason game, Mike? Because obviously they lack the intensity of the of the real thing. There, there's quite there's such a big difference between them. I personally, I mean, I hate doing preseason soccer to to use the American word. I I hate doing preseason stuff. I will only go to a preseason game if you pay me. I just I just don't like them. You know, They're there's tough. just such a gap. Yeah. I mean, the first two games, so it's ninety guys, right, on each roster. And it's the back 45, you got to know. It ain't the first 45 because they're not playing. So it's 180 guys. So, I mean, it is what it is. You're not you – do, you do the best you can. It's, 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 you know, by the time you get to the third quarter and there's 15 penalties and you're like, oh, gosh, it's eight, <laughs> you know, nine, eight in the third quarter and you're just, uh, you know. And so it's – it is hard. Um we have two at home this year, uh, Kansas City and Houston, and then we go to, to Los Angeles uh, for the Chargers in the middle of that. But so getting out, getting out of New Orleans in August to go to California is not a terrible thing. Um, but you're right; it's it's so hard. I mean, 
you know, you can't put any credence into it. Uh, I do like the three games. Uh, what I like most about the three games is that they finish, what is it, August 25th, and then they don't play till September 10th. Man, it, that that is time with your roster now at 53, you know, where you can really uh, gear up. But I mean, this, uh, you know, the Saints is the weirdest thing. If you looked at the, if you just looked at the schedule, it would look kind of normal to you. But they have until the month of December. They have four home games, four home games until December. That doesn't feel like that's possible, but it is. They have one in September, two in October, one in November. And, you know, they have seven road games. So it's going to be imperative for them to get off to. You have to be great, but you can't you can't be climbing uphill uh, this season because of, of the way the, the schedule works out because it's just so hard on the front end. Yeah, I mean, Gordon will tell you, I mean, I rant about various things on our podcast and I can't quite figure out how they can't do home and away an awful lot better than they do. It's, it's, it's not fair on the players. It's not fair on the fans. You know, you, you know, you want to get to the games a bit more regularly. Just to finish off, I mean, in terms of the fan base, I mean, as, as I mentioned, Cameron and I were there in 2018 for the Philadelphia Eagles. So from the moment that we were in Drew Brees' bar early in the morning to, to wandering up to the tailgate to getting into the stadium, describe for, for me, for somebody who's never experienced the Superdome, what it is actually like to be there for a, for a sporting event. Well, noon games are harder because we have LSU on Saturday. Saints fans are notoriously late arrivers. But you give us a primetime game, and you give us some time. First off, the building itself is so much larger than you've ever imagined. When you when you enter, you just you, I'm still amazed uh, at the size. And you know, 2018 and all that realm, and that was just you know we're scoring 30 points a game, and uh, it's it's a way of life right here. We're not a rich area. People spend their money on their Saint season tickets, and they've had them for 40 years. Right. And it's a it's a family right. And it's 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 a, it's an experience. Right. You come for this game. They're not we're not Philadelphia. We're not overly rude. Uh, and I'm, I'm very Philly fans who I love that they love their team. But, you know, they, they're harder on their team than they are on the opponents. Uh, but but it's, it's just been such a way of life. This team is so woven into the fabric of this community. I don't know what, you know, we have the Pelicans, of course, but man, the Saints and football season in this area is what it's all about. Yeah, it was, what I say, one of the sporting highlights, it, just attending that game, it did help that the Saints absolutely crushed the Eagles, which was also rather nice, Drew Brees, um, finding just about everybody. It was just just one of these things. And, and Gordon, I, I guess, you know, we, we come from, from Scotland, we've obviously got our own sport, but there's always that look of glamour about the NFL. I think that attracts a lot of people. It, it's the... I think it's American sports in general as well. Like I remember growing up and I was a huge professional wrestling fan and I don't even think it was the wrestling part of it. that I think I enjoyed, I think it was just the glitz and the glamour and everything's huge. And I like all the NFL stadiums based on the size of the country, they're so big. And then the presentation on television, all those things are just, just incredible the way everything goes into it. And that's, when I first started watching it, like it just felt like you were watching this thing that was larger than life. And I think that's what attracts a lot of people to it. 
Yeah, it is quite amazing. I mean, the first television we had here, Mike, was in the early 80s. We, we got Channel 4 had a programme. Mick Luckhurst, who used to kick for Atlanta. Yeah. He, he presented it for, for a little while over here. And they basically showed you some highlights of the games. And if you were lucky, they went live to a game for the last minute or something yeah. like that. It was just, you know, and my goodness, how excited were you on a Sunday night to be watching live you know, American football, and now they were spoiled by Game Pass. What I'd like Game Pass to do is what they do with the Major League Baseball app, which has, not only do they show the television, but they overlay the, the local radio as well. Right. So Game, pa Game Pass has got to work on that, because I think it'd be a sensational addition to it. There, there's just something to me better about listening to, to local guys for that. But yeah, it, it is special. Um and, you know, we're delighted that you've taken time out your busy schedule to come and talk to us and give us an insight of what it's like. And if, if you were to sum up the, the expectation for the Saints this season, Mike, how, how would you sum that up? You know, I, I would, you know, if you'd asked me January 9th after that loss to Carolina, I would say differently. But I think the expectations are, are high because, as Gordon said, you don't, you don't have to be Drew Brees. Just – Go be efficient. The defense gave up 19 points a game last year. That's that's gold. That's that's like that's like the bar. You give up 19 points a game. Well, that's good. But the offense averaged 18 points a game. So that's the problem. So I think the expectations are high. The NFC South is not going to be strong, but though. But the question is really nobody knows about the NFC South, right? I mean, rookies everywhere. What's Baker going to do? Uh, you know. What's the Bama quarterback going to do? Which who I think they're going to play. You know, is it with Desmond Ritter in Atlanta? Is he going to be the answer? So I think there's a lot of unknown. And so at least with Derek Carr, we haven't known. And so that makes us just ahead of the pack. But I think expectations are, you know, this is a 10 and 7, 11 and 6 football team. And from there, who knows? You just like, like Gordon said, you get into the playoffs and then it's a, it's a new ball game. Yeah, can't, can't wait for the start of the season. Mike, thank you for joining us here on the NFL Scotland podcast. You've been listening to Stramash, myself, Paul Mitchell, Gordon McGuinness, and our very special guest, Mike Hoss. Until the next time, thanks for listening. Bye for now. <laughs>